Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hand on her, that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for twelve years, and had many and suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Well, the sermon is entitled this morning, A True Need Met. We see there in our scripture reading that the setting of our text is that of a great multitude. We see that Jesus had crossed over the sea by boat to the other side, and and perhaps we'll recall that Jesus had just healed a demon-possessed man. And just a quick overview of that, Jesus suddenly talked to his disciples at the beginning of Mark 5 and said, let's cross over the Sea of Galilee, a several-mile trip. When arriving there, a demon-possessed man met him. Jesus spoke to him, healed him, and then left. And so Jesus, in great love and extraordinary grace, traveled all night over a lake just to heal one man. Jesus loves his people. Well, we see here then, upon Jesus' return from healing the demon-possessed man, that a great multitude once again had gathered to him. And this reality is recorded throughout the ministry of Jesus Christ. For example, in Mark chapter 3 and 4, they narrate that great multitudes were around Jesus, so much so that Jesus and his disciples did not have time to eat. There were thousands of people in these crowds. Great multitudes followed Jesus. Well, why were these people following the Lord Jesus Christ? And there are two reasons, at least. First, to hear his preaching. And secondly, to see his miracles. People were amazed at Jesus teaching and miracles. For example, in Mark 1, Jesus cast out an unclean spirit. And we read of the people's reaction there in verse 28. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. In John chapter 7, officers had been sent to arrest Jesus from the Pharisees and the chief priests. And we read of their reaction to Jesus after hearing him speak in verses 45 and 46. 
Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Well, what was the purpose of his teaching and his miracles? Well, in them and through them, he displayed divine power and authority, thus displaying that he was the promised Messiah who was to come, that all those ages of the Old Testament and all the prophets that the Lord had sent to prophesy of this coming one, he was it. He was the one that they had prophesied about. And I hope today to show how Jesus here in our text in Mark chapter 5, through his compassion to an unclean woman, his power over sickness, and his declaration of who he is as the promised Messiah, displayed who he really was, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah who had come to take away the uncleanness of his people. And so in in this text, we will see that in Jesus, a great need was met. And first, then, we see a woman with a great need. We read in Mark 5, verse 24, after Jesus had agreed to go with a man named Jairus to heal his daughter, who was terribly sick to the point of death, that the crowds thronged Jesus. And it was a scene of people bumping and jostling at each other, bumping Jesus. And it was in this scene, within this chaotic, bustling crowd, that a woman weaved her way through the crowd to approach the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not told her name in this account. But we are told of a great physical ailment that she was afflicted by. We read of her problem in verses 25 and 26. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had a flow of blood for 12 years, and her continual flow of blood had a great negative impact on her life. And we're going to drill a little bit into the magnitude of the suffering and trial that she endured through the Old Testament. In Leviticus 15, verse 25, we read of the law concerning this situation. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, other than at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. And so we read here that she is considered to be ceremonially unclean. Furthermore, we read in the following verses in Leviticus 15, Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening." Think this through, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Every bed that she lied on, anything on which she sat, would be considered unclean. And you can imagine how this would greatly hinder her interactions with family and friends. 
She could not simply visit someone's home. As anything she sat on or lied down on would have to be, be cleansed. Oh, I'm a Canadian, and July 4th is coming up, and we're, gonna, we're interested to see what it's like here. And it undoubtedly involves coming to people's homes. And, and another thing we look forward to is Thanksgiving in America. We hear rumors from the North that it's a wonderful celebration, and it involves togetherness with family and friends. But think of this, she could not participate in any of those occasions. Things that we reflect on with joy and gladness are a great burden to her and to anyone she's with. Well, to add to this, verse 27 of Leviticus 15 says that anyone who then touches the things which she sat on or lied down on, they would be unclean as well. And, and, and as a married person, she could never have relations with her husband. Oh, it's so easy to miss the magnitude of the burden that this woman suffered with. Every relationship would be terribly affected. She could not have children or a normal marriage. She couldn't even go to someone's house for a visit. And she suffered with this for 12 long years. A difficult burden. This was not, however, the extent of her burden due to her physical condition. We read in Leviticus 15, verse 31, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. The person who had such an ailment as this woman had could not enter the presence of the Lord in corporate worship. And this was the greatest burden for the woman, not to be able to enter the presence of her God in worship, in the temple, for 12 years. And there was a great element of grace nonetheless in preventing unclean people from entering God's presence. They were prevented from entering because God did not want them to die. No unclean thing can enter his presence. God is holy. And these standards of holiness, dear brothers and sisters, exist today. God has not changed. He never changes. God still demands that level of perfection with respect to people coming into his glorious and holy presence in worship. Well, perhaps a question is arising in your mind. How is it that I can be in the presence of the Lord even here in Lynchburg today in worship? I am not perfect. Well, in his grace, he has provided a perfect mediator in Jesus Christ whose righteousness is imputed to his people, their sins also being covered by his death on the cross, and enable them to come before him and worship him in an acceptable way. And so, dear ones, if you're here in worship, delighting in the presence of God, you're here because of Jesus and his atoning and effectual work in your life. Oh, what grace and mercy, dear friends. What joy. 
Well, we can see in this woman's situation the terrible effects of the fall into sin. But a vital point to mention is that the flow of blood was not this woman's only condition that needed correction. She did have a terrible physical ailment, and we've talked about this, but it was secondary in importance and deadliness to her spiritual condition. She committed sins. Now, we do not read that this woman was any type of notable sinner of any sort. And yet, God's word clearly teaches that there are none who are righteous, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And in this sense, all of us can relate to this woman. We likely do not suffer with the same type of physical ailment that she did, but we are all naturally unclean in a much deeper way, in a more profound sense. We are also unclean before the Lord because we sin as well. And this sin makes us unclean before the presence of our holy God outside of the cleansing blood of Christ. Sin is filthy. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, we read that even our best works are like a filthy rag or like a polluted garment, some translators render it. Some commentators translate that very phrase, our sins are like a garment stained with menstruous discharge. An uncomfortable thing. Do you see then the connection between the filthiness of this woman's discharge and the works we all produce outside of union with Christ? Without faith in our natural state. Oh, without Christ, we are unclean as well. In a worse way than this woman. We need Jesus Christ, who can cleanse the unclean. Well, as we'll find out, Jesus does not pass over this spiritual need in his grace, dealing with this precious woman. And there is no doubt that this woman struggled greatly during the 12 years. But she found reason for hope. She found Jesus Christ. Well, secondly, we have faith to be healed. We see that this woman had faith to be healed of her physical ailment. Her faith was such that she believed even touching the edge of his clothing could heal her. We read in verses 27 and 28, When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Well, isn't this most extraordinary? Can you imagine going to your doctor? Don't give me medicine, doctor. Just come a little closer. I'll touch the hem of your robe or garment and I'll be well. Oh, our medical system here in America would be so much more efficient, wouldn't it? Well, she believed something about Jesus that went beyond a mere human ability to heal. 
This woman looked to Christ. She knew that he wielded divine power, which would able to be healed. She would able, be able to be healed by him. You see, she exhausted all human means of help. She had lost all of her savings trying to be healed, but was only getting worse, our text says. Well, she was not disappointed. Making her way through the crowd, a risky thing to do, remember. She finally reached her goal. And she put out her hand and touched the hem of his garment. And we read in verse 29 what happened. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. She was healed. That element of the curse of the fall of humanity in her life was immediately removed by God's grace. Twelve years of suffering of the most horrible type was gone in a moment. Human physicians could not heal her ailment, but with a touch, Jesus Christ overcame the power of this illness. Oh, dear friends, a notable miracle was performed by Jesus to heal this woman. Well, why does Jesus say that she was healed? He says in chapter 5, verse 34, your faith has made you well. It was her faith that made her well, but she did not have faith in faith, you see. She did not have some sense of spirituality that is so common today. You hear of people being called spiritual. Oh, that person's a very spiritual person. Well, what does that even mean? Many claim today to be spiritual, but faith's right object is not just anything or anybody who seems to be capable. We read in Mark 5, verse 27, that this woman had heard reports about Jesus. All others had failed, and she sought out Jesus Christ. Jesus was the object of her faith. She had faith in Jesus Christ to be healed, and she was rewarded with her desire by the grace and love of Jesus Christ. Well, we have seen that we share on one level the uncleanness, the uncleanness that this woman had because like her, we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. Oh, dear ones, always place your faith in Jesus Christ. Go to Him in confession of your sins, in repentance. In Him, you will find forgiveness for your sins. And you'll find rest for your souls. Because he took the uncleanness of our sin to the cross. All other sources of healing and contentment will fail. Even as Christians, we can seek out contentment in things of this earth. Oh, dear friends, you'll never find it there. It'll never satisfy Only in Christ will we find real peace, lasting peace, lasting contentment. We have been made for His glory. Rest in Him and His completed work on the cross. Well, this woman was healed because she had faith in Jesus Christ. 
which was a gift given to her by God himself. And this is an example of grace heaped upon grace. She was the recipient of at least two extraordinary things, the healing of her ailment, but the greater thing was the faith given to her by God to be healed and to look to Christ as the object of her faith. And so the healing of her body was truly secondary in this incident, secondary to their faith to look to Jesus Christ. And so we see that the woman had faith to be healed. And finally, we see faith directed to the Messiah. The woman had faith to be healed, but it was not a perfect faith. She had faith in Jesus, but she went to Jesus in a hidden way and would have left after being healed. But you notice in our text, Jesus would not allow that to be the case. We read in verses 30 to 32, And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. You see, the physical healing of this woman was not enough. The gospel is not about physical healing and material blessings in our life. Indeed, the Lord often blesses his people with what they need and often gives us so much more. We're here in America, the most wealthy nation in history. The Lord has showered material blessings on us here in this nation. But really, the Lord wants to give his people lasting treasure, saving knowledge of the Savior, of himself. And well, the woman's response to Jesus revealed that she did not understand in a full way who Jesus really was. In response to Jesus stopping and asking who touched him, we read that she came to him terrified and fell on the ground before Jesus, so much so that she was physically shaking. And we can imagine the thoughts going through her mind. Would he be angry with me? Would he rebuke me, this unclean woman touching him, the one who always makes everyone else unclean around me? Though she had great fear, she nonetheless testifies to the work that Jesus had done for her. When Jesus asked, she said it was me who touched you and told him everything. Oh, dear friends, let that reality sink in. When the Lord does a great work for us, we should be compelled to tell others of his goodness. We perhaps recall the earlier incident that I summarized briefly, the demon-possessed man being healed earlier in Mark 5. Well, he asked to be with Jesus, a natural response to being healed of such an affliction. And Jesus said, no, you cannot remain with me. Go tell your friends the good things that the Lord has done for you. And that's what the man did. And several chapters later, we, re- we read of Jesus coming to that place and crowds thronging to him, bringing other people to be healed. His ministry was effective. And this woman then had a shameful ailment that 
would have caused her shame, and yet she confessed. Her shame was overcome with her amazement and love for her Savior. Oh, let us be motivated also to tell others of the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ in our lives in saving us from our sin and misery as well. Well, what was Jesus' response to her fear and to her faith in coming to him? It's one of the great responses of Jesus in Scripture. We read in Mark 5, verse 34, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Oh, what a comforting and beautiful response. What a tender and kind response. There was no rebuke. There was no horror at an unclean woman touching this great teacher. There was only love and grace and tenderness. The great love of Jesus is seen by what he called her. Daughter. A tender response. The term daughter speaks of his love for the woman and his care of her. Jesus cared about her and wanted to calm her fears. The word daughter implies possession in fatherhood. It's Father's Day today. And so dads here can relate to their own daughters, their own sons being their children, having such a bond with them. Well, no one calls someone daughter unless they are their own daughter. Wouldn't it be particularly strange if one of us men came up to some other girl and, hey, daughter, that would be very odd, inappropriate. But you see, this woman is Christ's daughter, which means in a unique sense that he is her father. And in saying these things to this dear woman, Jesus is revealing who he is to her. And let's turn our minds back again then to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 that we read earlier. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And you see, Jesus is the one who fulfills this great prophecy. It was about him over 700 years before he came. And here we read why Jesus calls her daughter. He's the everlasting father. He is her everlasting father. He is the everlasting father and has just tenderly, lovingly dealt with and is now revealing himself to one of his children. But there's more in this Isaiah text that can be compared with with what Jesus said to this woman. This promised Messiah that Isaiah was speaking about is called Wonderful Counselor. And here Jesus so wonderfully counsels her to have faith in him when he said, your faith has made you well. In other words, continue to trust in me. He is the true and proper object of her faith, of our faith as well. And he encourages her in this. Well, Isaiah also calls the Messiah mighty God. And don't we see here that in Christ healing the woman 
in a most remarkable way that he is the mighty God. In all his miracles, Jesus dominates over demon possession, over illness, and over the curse of the fall of sin. Rather than becoming unclean like everyone else had, here cleanness comes out of Jesus and heals her. You see the dominance over sin, the dominance over the curse that Jesus had. He's not affected. Rather, he affects and destroys sin and its effects in his people's lives. And here he displayed his divine kingly power by healing this woman from a terrible illness with just the touch of her clothes. Oh, he is the Messiah. He also tells this woman to go in peace. And this completes his declaration of himself and how he is the fulfillment of that Isaiah 9 prophecy concerning himself. He is the Prince of Peace. He can give peace because he is the Messiah who came to take away the sins of the world, thereby reconciling his people to God. And because of him, we are no longer at enmity with our God. We can sit here and worship him and know in Christ our worship is acceptable. That is most remarkable. She, as a sinner, was at enmity with God. But in Christ, she may not only have peace with him as the one who touched and healed her, but she has peace also with her heavenly Father. Well, in this dealing with this woman, Jesus is in effect saying, I am the fulfillment of these great Old Testament prophecies concerning me. He's pointing out to her that he is the Savior that was to come into the world and who was about to take her sins on his own shoulders, as well as the sins of all the elect, and would pay the penalty for them on the cross and earn them peace with God. And you recall what Jesus cried out on the cross just before he died. It is finished. The work is done. Peace established forever. Jesus gave her the gospel here in our text. Or perhaps it is better to say that Jesus showed to her that he is the good news. He is the gospel. He is the one in whom she and we must place our trust to be healed of our great problem, our sin. In Christ, you see, a true need was met. And let us remember the context of Jesus healing this woman. He was on his way to healing a dying girl. Jairus had pleaded with him. A girl whose life had been as long as this woman's illness. And yet he stops from that most emergency-type setting. Stops and heals this woman and displays to her that he is the right object of her faith. Oh, the Lord has love for his individual people. Children never think that Jesus doesn't know you. He knows you. He's given you covenant home, faithful parents. He loves you. But one of the great themes in Mark is the coming of the kingdom of God. Here we see a most extraordinary revelation of Jesus Christ as the bringer of this kingdom, as the king 
of this kingdom. And he displayed in his authority and power over the uncleanness of physical infirmity and the uncleanness of sin by dominating over them both. He displayed this in his revelation that he is the promised one who would come to heal the nations of their great sins against God and to reconcile them all to him. Sin brings misery. Christ brings healing and life. And he deserves our worship and our praise. Oh, dear beloved, are you submitting to Jesus Christ, your King? Are you trusting in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to meet your physical as well as your spiritual needs? This unclean woman was made clean both spiritually and physically in Christ. Have you been made clean in Christ? Are you trusting in Him? He atoned for the sins of His people by justifying them and washing away their guilt through His shed blood on the cross. And He now sits on His throne at the right hand of God where He rules over the nations, over us. And one day, that very Jesus, who is so tender to the woman, will return. And he will renew all things and destroy the power of sin forever. Dear beloved, trust in this King, this King of kings and this Lord of lords. He rules over all, and he deserves our obedience, our submission to his commandments. And he deserves our thanksgiving and our praise. I don't know your congregation very well. And for most of you, I've met you for the first time, but I'm certain that there are some here who suffer. There are some here who suffer a great deal, undoubtedly. And often with daily trials and great hardships. And perhaps some of you ask, why am I suffering like this? Why has the Lord brought this hard providence on me? It is hard. There are others of us who suffer with great afflictions in the future. And perhaps we'll ask these same questions. Why? Why, Lord? Well, we don't know all the answers. The woman in our text didn't know why she was burdened with this condition until many years later when God's glory was seen in her. Dear Christian, perhaps God wants to show his glory through you. And to be a teacher to others who also suffer affliction. And to mold your faith through those trials so that you'll trust in him more. And look to him even more deeply despite your trials and in your trials. And with certainty, one of the answers to the question why is that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. And he would not elevate Paul's thorn in the flesh, for example, declaring to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And so that Paul would continue to trust. Oh, dear Christian sufferer, look to Jesus for peace and strength to endure. Perhaps he will heal you one day in this life. He is able to do so. But with 100% certainty, he will heal you in the next. Until then, look to him who does all things well, 
who will not allow your pain and your sorrow to go beyond what he wills for you. And he can use your suffering to mold you and draw him close to you in love. And as we've already seen, physical suffering is not the only thing we're burdened with. Financial hardship, job layoffs, mental health challenges, struggles with sin that we cannot get away from, it seems. Persecution, small faith, anxiety, loss, unfulfilled hopes, weakness and inability simply due to the fact that we're creatures, and more and more and on and on. To all of these things, Jesus says to his children, daughter, son, your faith I have offered, authored for you, has made you well. Go in peace. Trust in me. Turn to the Lord in your trials, dear friends. God's word says that one day all the tears will be wiped from your eyes, and you will be able to see him with perfect eyes and with a whole body and mind to praise him forever with all of his church. All our sins and the effects of our sins washed away forever. Oh, won't that be a wonderful day? The Apostle Paul, who suffered greatly in this life, wrote these wonderful words of comfort in Romans 8, verse 18. He said there, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And let us place then our trust in Jesus Christ, our Messiah, and the one in whom all our needs are met as well. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, our Heavenly Father, we are really amazed at your love and your grace to us. Lord, we fall short of your glory, and yet you have given your own Son who covers our sins in your sight and gives us his own righteousness and clothes us in a way that you see us as someone beautiful. Oh God, help us to trust in you. Help us to have renewed faith again and hate our sins more. We are so thankful for you. We're thankful for Jesus. Use us as tools to your glory and to your honor and to the building of your kingdom. Bless us with faith, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, let's respond to your congregation of the Lord by standing and singing together a song of praise, number 580 from the Trinity hymnal, When Peace Like a River. <laughs>